0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Rooted! This week we're diving deep into a household favorite, Monstera Deliciosa. These friendly giants are native to the forests of Central America, but can now be found growing in a wide variety of tropical areas where it's been introduced and naturalized. They are one of the most prolific members of the Arum family, with cousins like Pothos, and philodendron. Other houseplant favorites we will definitely be digging into on the show. Monstera deliciosa isn't too picky when it comes to light and water indoors or out, but it really does prefer a humid environment with diffused light and ample room to climb on either a tree or moss pole. In their native environment, Monsteras start lower to the ground with smaller, heart-shaped leaves as they grow along the forest floor and search for a tree to climb. Once they find one, they begin forming aerial roots to be able to best grab onto the tree as it makes its way closer to the sun. Monsteras can get up to 40 meters tall in the wild, but, but tend to max out at around 10 feet in captivity. The aerial roots don't just help with climbing, though. Those weird brown, stick-like bits that you've likely seen growing out of older monstera are also used to absorb water and nutrients from the air. If you're on plant talk, you likely saw a hack that involved dunking these bad boys in water. And, while that does result in a perkier plant in the short term due to cohesion tension, it isn't a good strategy long term as these roots are ultimately meant to absorb water from the air and are extremely prone to rot if they're in water for too long. If they don't rot, they may form subterranean roots, which will help to stabilize the plant if it isn't being given something to climb, but the safer way to do this is to simply tuck aerial roots back into the soil. While the monstera does do best when it can keep both sets of roots, of course. If it's in an environment with enough moisture in the air, it can survive without its subterranean roots, which can come in handy in environments that are super windy and very heavily trafficked. If you have one in your home, no harm comes to the plant by removing the aerial roots, but they are super likely to grow back, and having them helps to stabilize the plant as it grows upward. It's worth noting that monsteras are not parasitic. Their aerial roots do not tap into other plants to leach their nutrients, nor do they cause damage to homes, structures, or other plants that they climb. One thing that makes monsteras easy to identify, and so, so popular, are the iconic holes and cuts, also known as fenestrations and lobes. Now, no one knows for sure why they have these, but what we do know is they tend to get larger and more complex as the leaf ages, which makes it really easy to tell how old a plant is. The bigger and more holy the leaves are, the older the plant is. While we don't know for certain why they have these fenestrations and lobes, botanists do have a few different theories. The first theory is that Maybe the holes in the leaves make it possible for light or water to get to roots and lower parts of the plant, as the large leaves would likely shade out the bottom leaves and prevent water from getting directly to the roots beneath the plant. Did I mention that the leaves can be three feet in diameter? So, I see where holes in the leaves could definitely be useful there. The next theory is that the holes help to prevent the large leaves from getting ripped to shreds in the wind, as air can simply pass through them without yanking too hard on the plant itself or destroying its delicate foliage. The last and least supported theory is that perhaps the leaves are an adaptive strategy meant to signal to pests that the leaves have already been chewed and are therefore not worth their time. One thing we can be sure about, they have been a much loved plant for pretty much as long as people have loved plants and brought them into their homes. Famed painter Henry Matisse had an absolutely massive Monstera in his studio, which he painted regularly and was apparently always very inspired by. A lot of his work really captures the unique shape and patterns formed by his very own delicious monster. I'll have a picture on our Instagram of his plant because it's huge, stunning, and everything I hope my Monstera will grow to be. Apparently, they live to be about 40 years old, so we've got plenty of time to get there. In addition to inspiring artists with their vibrant colors, monsteras themselves can be quite flashy and colorful due to their variegation. Monsteras are a great plant to dive into this topic with, as they have large leaves to showcase patterns and grow prolifically, which can help to show stabilization of the traits needed for variegation. Variegation is a mutation in the plant that causes it to have multicolored leaves. In the houseplant world, it's most common to see yellow or white variegation on a leafy green houseplant like pothos, monsteras, and philodendrons. The variegation can show itself as small specks, large patches, and even sort of stripey shapes. One thing about variegation, it's not always the most stable mutation. It can be very different from plant to plant and even leaf to leaf. But just what causes the differences in color? Well, it's all got to do with something we all learned about in elementary school, cells and chlorophyll. Essentially, variegation happens when some of the cells that should contain chlorophyll mutate, leaving them with either no chlorophyll and causing a pure white color or very little, usually resulting in a more yellow or light greenish hue. There really isn't any specific rhyme or reason for why this happens. What we do know is that it's entirely possible for this variegation to shift, as sometimes the cells can eventually shift to have more or less chlorophyll, which is why many variegation fans are super careful about how they propagate and feed their plants. This is especially true of sport variegations, which are completely random and hard, if not impossible, to stabilize, whereas true variegation tends to be fairly stable and unchanging. If you want to learn more about sport variegation, especially in Monstera, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up Tyler Thrasher, who is a self described mad scientist, happens to be a self taught botanist, and is one of my planty superheroes. If you aren't already aware of Tyler Thrasher and his work, I'll leave a link to his brilliance in the show notes. Now, back to monsteras. Obviously, we all know they make stunning houseplants, but did you know they have so much more to them than that? Most notably, monsteras produce a fruit that's commonly called the Mexican breadfruit, and it's also how they got the second part of their name. They are supposedly delicious, but also lean a little on the dangerous side for those of us who aren't necessarily the most patient people on earth. The fruit can't be eaten until it's fully ripe, which happens when its scales begin to fall off. If you don't wait, you risk suffering severe mouth pain as the unripe fruit is still storing a ton of calcium oxalate crystals which are known to be a mouth and tummy trouble instigator. The flesh is said to taste like a cross between a banana and a pineapple, which honestly just kind of sounds like something all of my smoothie dreams are absolutely made of. Okay, as a super nerdy fun fact, I had the distinct pleasure of viewing an absolutely massive and fruiting variegated Monstera on a recent trip to Washington And I need you all to know that the fruit on a variegated monstera is indeed also variegated. If you're wondering, I had like a full-on fangirl moment in the middle of the conservatory and took like 10 million photos. A few of them will be on Instagram if you're interested in seeing those shenanigans, but just know that I was living my absolute best life and almost refused to leave. Anyway, It's rare for monsteras to flower, and therefore produce fruit as houseplants, because they need a ton of humidity, which can be hard to maintain outside of very carefully monitored greenhouses. When they do flower, monsteras have a large, white flower known as a spadix, which sort of looks like a big, leathery peace lily. The plant can't flower until it's about three years old, and even after it does, it will take about another year for the fruit to fully form and ripen. Aside from having one of the most flavorful fruits, Monstera's aerial roots were also commonly used to weave baskets, presumably to then harvest their fruit and carry the harvest back. These baskets were pretty strong and durable, as the aerial roots tend to be pretty strong and fibrous, while also being flexible enough to create a tight weave. Aside from basket weaving, monstera also played a vital role in the Central American communities it's natively found in. Most notably, a paste or ointment can be made from the monstera that was then used to treat anything from snake bites to arthritis. Today, these medicines are not commonly used and are not suggested for those unfamiliar with the traditional methods of making them to try as those dang calcium oxalate crystals can really get you, and they're present in every single part of the plant aside from the ripened fruit. Today, we mostly use monsteras to add brightness, life, and clean air to our homes, but there's no doubt that this has always been a part of life and culture and continues to be an inspiration in its own right. Next time you see one, I hope you'll stop to say hello, and maybe thank it for all of the things it can show us. After all, these guys are basically the BFG of houseplants, so it's worth it to be friendly. That's all I have for this week, but I'll catch you a little later for a bonus episode I've had brewing for quite some time. It's a bit of a wild one, so you'll want to tune in. If you liked the show, Please consider subscribing and leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Rooted.Pod. We're on YouTube at Rooted.Podcast, and check out our website, RootedPod.com, for transcripts, updates, and so much more. Thanks for being here, and until next time, be kind to yourselves, be kind to the earth, and just like a plant, drink your water.